Thank you for joining us on the Hard as Nails podcast brought to you by Outsider.ie, Islands Adventure Magazine. My name is Kevin and this is the fourth episode of our podcast series. In the first three episodes, we spoke to incredible ultra runners and adventure racers who have tackled some of the toughest mountains in Ireland and elsewhere in the world, broken records for extreme challenges and given us an insight as to what it means to be an endurance athlete. But now it's time to take our podcast journey in to the oceans and speak with a man who has truly earned the title of being an extreme swimmer after he was inducted into the International Marathon Swimming Hall of Fame. He achieved this by becoming the first person ever to complete all seven of the world's major open water swims, which is known as the Oceans Seven. We've got him on dry land today to share his stories and experiences with us. It's none other than Stephen Redmond. Stephen, thank you for giving up uh, some of your time to chat with us on the Hard as Nails podcast. No problem at all. No problem. Let me just explain to our listeners first uh, what the Ocean Sevens Challenge is all about. You pretty much uh, swim one channel from each of the seven continents, not not across the actual oceans of which there obviously are only five around the world. Just to clarify that so that there's no confusion going forward. From your side though, Stephen, in what order did you complete each channel and how long did this challenge take from the start all the way to the finish? Well, we started uh, with the English Channel in 2009 and we were still going in the middle of 2012. Okay. Uh, so it took that long, really. It, w- it became a race. It wasn't at the beginning. It was only just the English Channel. Mm-hmm. And uh, we kind of, like most things, you fall into these things and uh, they take over your life. Yeah. And uh, just for sanity's sake, we we had to finish it out in the end. Um, the, the the English Channel was 2009. That was 20 hours, and that was all I was doing at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I lost a couple of friends to uh, cancer and suicide and things like that over mm-hmm. the years. And they pushed me on to uh, try and see how far I could go. You know, if they, you know, the pain they went through and endured, mm-hmm. that kind of uh, re- made me realize life is very short. So we we found out about the North Channel uh, between Scotland and Northern Ireland, which we did the following year in 2010. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did that in 17 hours, and uh, that was the two, seemingly the two hardest of the channels done. Oh, wow. And then Steve Monotonis in America challenged me to uh, finish the other five, and I, I knew nothing about this Ocean 7 at the time. Oh, wow. And I'm married with a couple of kids, mm-hmm. and I, I looked at it, and I thought, this is pure fantasy here. Uh, I could do it, but it would take me 10, 15 years, and I would be divorced many <laughs> times over. Yeah. But uh, we looked at it kind of in a lateral way. Uh, a couple of friends of mine uh, from a tri-club that we have here in West Cork in Ireland, mm-hmm. and um, we realized that we were the only one competing at the time that had the North Channel done, which is deemed as the, the hardest one of the lot due to the fact that it's freezing cold, never above 10 or 11 degrees yeah. water temperature and full of box jellyfish most of the time. Sure. And uh, that's uh, how we got into it, really. Uh, as I say, we did the English Channel 2009, the North Channel 2010, a year later. Uh, Gibraltar, uh, in May of the following year, 2011, mm-hmm. went on to Catalina uh, to do the Catalina Channel in October a failed attempt at Molokai between the Molokai Islands, the, the, the Channel of Bones okay. between uh, uh, Molokai and Oahu, uh, 13 and a half hours in there and came out uh, just too much shark attention. Oh, wow. uh, returned February 
went down to Cook Straits, uh, did Cook Straits in February, just after the day after Valentine's Day in 2011. Mm-hmm. Ten days later, swam Molokai, uh, 60 miles in the water for a day there, 24 hours. And then in June, on Bastille Day, we completed uh, in Japan, the Suguru Channel. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it was very, very, as I say, it at the beginning, it was just do the English Channel. Maybe it was a midlife crisis thing, but <laughs> yeah. it was a thing I was always very kind of, into long stuff, uh, you know yourself at the beginning of uh, your time, you try to win races or kind of time means everything. And at the end, mm. finishing seems to be more important and, you know, experiencing the, the journey to get there. And yeah. every one of these things is completely different. We have to get down to South Africa and do some swims down there soon. Like, you know, we're due to get down there this year. Yeah, that would be wonderful. If we get down there, yeah. we, you know, whether my wife will let me get down there is another question completely. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's more dangerous swimming than anything. You know? Definitely, <laughs> I know from experience. Well, exactly Stephen, so. uh, you, you, as you say, you, you pretty much fell into the challenge of, of the the oceans seven. You never really knew about it, but then once you were told about the challenge, you you went then for it. Was it ever purposely set out that you wanted to become the first person to complete it? No, absolutely not. Um, these things. Uh, they take on a, a kind of a life of their own, really. In the end, you yeah. know, as I say, we got the, the English Channel and the North Channel, uh, and did Gibraltar. That was the three European uh, swims you could say out of the way. Mm. And uh, at the time in Ireland, we were going through a fair depression. Everything was crashing. The banks were going to the wall and things like that. So mm-hmm. it seemed like a fair kind of uh, fa- folly, really, to kind of this this guy trying to swim uh, the Ocean Seven and. Nobody was very interested in it, but um, as I say, my friends and myself, we took it as a kind of lateral way of thinking, let's try and do two or three of these uh, mm-hmm. channels at once. So we decided to try and do Catalina and uh, Malachi within two weeks, 10 days of each other, which no one had ever achieved. Wow. Uh, and it, as I say, maybe then it did become a race, you know, as people came in uh, to Ireland, uh, a German guy came in to hear him where I work mm-hmm. and he was working on the Spiegel and he, he knew a couple of guys in Red Bull and they got interested and we did a couple of uh, magazine articles in the Red Bull uh, uh, bulletin. Mm. And uh, gradually uh, the, the Irish around the world heard about this and uh, Everyone is Irish, and you're probably Irish in seven <laughs> degrees of, dis- of connection. Like you know, mm-hmm. everyone around the world is related to somebody from Ireland, and mm-hmm. they all seem to want to help. And it, it took on a life of its own. Uh, as I say, we went to Catalina. Uh, Red Bull helped us there. Uh, we wouldn't have been able to help. Another couple of Irish guys put us up. It was all very, very on the hoof. See who we can find in in the place and the location to help us do the swim mm-hmm. and just go ourselves. On a on a on a, a budget of of just credit cards, burning one credit card after another, yeah. and um, it it we were very very fortunate, you know. Mm-hmm. You know the water itself. The water gives you the swim. Mm-hmm. If you go down there and say, uh, "Well, I'm going to take this. I'm going to do this swim. There's going to be no problem." Yeah. The water will just come back and bite you, you know, every time. And uh, we learned that the hard way, maybe in Molokai, mm-hmm. uh, the first time when we went to Catalina and we went to Molokai. The uh, first, just starting the swim, broke my nose, and the, the skipper, the, the the thing he said to me was, "Don't get caught in the reefs, and uh, if anything brushes against you, just keep swimming." <laughs> the swim, the sharks are only interested in the morning and the evening. Uh-huh. Uh, first thing we did was break my nose and got dragged by the the reef, so covered in blood, uh, starting uh, the the longest swim hmm. I'd ever tried to do. Sure. So that was a very uh, uncomfortable 
day, you know, constant shock attention. They come in on the urine trail and the blood trail and mm. swim around you. And fortunately, my kids had put uh, the Jaws music onto my iPod at the time. <laughs> so, and we had been watching the films. So uh, it, it, was, it was very, very difficult. But yeah. at the beginning, no, definitely not a race. At the end, yes, probably. Mm. Uh, you know, we had uh, some brilliant swimmers coming over from America, Canada, Australia, uh, to do the North Channel the same year as we finished. And uh, it became an Irish thing. Mm. It became an Irish thing. You know, the, the Irish, the country was down on its knees at the time and we just wanted to show the world that uh, we could compete with the best of them, yeah. you know. And uh, we met... The great thing about uh, channel swimming is everybody helps each other. You know, mm. if you have an experience there of a, a certain swim and somebody's coming to do it, they'll ring you up and they'll ask you, what do you think I should do and how should I uh, get there and uh, what should I do when I get there? And... Everybody shares everything. You know, nobody's keeping any secrets from each other. They'll mm-hmm. lie to each other about their training. <laughs> like if you're doing 20 miles a week, I'll tell them I'm doing 25 miles a week, yeah. you know. But uh, everybody is very, very open in, in, the, in the, the world of open water swimming, you know, yeah. and uh, everybody just wants to see you complete. Yeah. And uh, it's, a, it's a magical thing. That moment you have four or five people on a boat in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. and nobody else is sharing it. And uh, that's that's their moment for for the rest of their lives. And you seeing somebody complete, they've worked so hard to get you. I'm only the swimmer in the water. Mm-hmm. These people have worked so hard to get you there and made sure that you didn't cheat or touch the boat or yeah. help you in any way. And uh, it's their it's actually their moment more than mine. I just mm-hmm. get to the end and uh, I break down. But um, yeah. it was their work that got me there. And I never say I. I always say we. Yeah. It's a, it's a team thing, really, mm-hmm. even though I'm the only one in the water. Mm-hmm. Everybody is there willing you to get across, and everybody is doing anything there. They'll do anything to get you there, they, but except let you fail. Yeah. Wow. Such a special moment, that, uh, of the team, uni- absolutely. team unity. Uh, absolutely. Wow. Well, Steve, it took uh, three years to compete it, as, as we know, this, this grueling challenge. Now, over that time, though, was there ever a, a worry that someone else might be sneaking up on you to try and complete all seven before you would? Yeah, there the, the was the previous. We we went so early to Japan that year because there was an Australian lady coming over to swim um, the, the North Channel. She failed three times. She had to be hospitalised once, uh, but she was coming over. And I really and truly, we thought she'd do it. She was she's such a great swimmer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I cannot remember the name of the lady now, unfortunately. But um, she's going into triathlon now, but she never completed the North Channel. The, the North Channel beat beats a lot of people. Yeah. We were very fortunate in 2009 to get it. At, at the time of getting it, I didn't realize the significance that we were, I was the first person in around seven years hmm. to get it and only the second person to get it on, on the first attempt. Wow. So uh, that'll tell you how difficult these yeah. things are. And people are all looking for, for to do something different now or to try and push each other a little bit further and... Um, Maybe it's they see that you can you can do normal people can do these things. I'm quite a normal person. I'm a miserable bugger, you know. <laughs> uh, I I just swim every day, mm. and uh, I do, I don't contemplate it as a, what I did as very special. I was just very lucky yeah. with the people that I had around me. That's what made the difference to me. I couldn't let them down. Yeah. In the end, you know, and um, the, the, if somebody did beat me, it probably would have been my mistake more than any, you know, you know, if anyone gets a swim, uh, it's, it's fair play. As I say, it's a, it's a very difficult thing to complete. Mm. And uh, we just had, we just were lucky that we had that North Channel swim done mm-hmm. and the Red Bull rode in behind us on the last swim. We went to Japan. 
very, very difficult when we went so early. Everybody got sick, pneumonia and chest infections, and the, the weather went against us. Mm. I spent 13 and a half hours in the water and ended up actually coming back into where I started. And that'll tell you about the boat, how yeah. much they want you to succeed. <laughs> Nobody in the boat told me I was going around in a huge four-mile circle, wow. just being turned around by uh, the tide and the and the, 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 the riptide there in, in the Suguru. Mm-hmm. They just wanted to try and see if we could get over it, but unfortunately we failed. Yeah. Came back to Ireland beaten, and um, 10 days later, Red Bull came back in, and uh, the community here in West Cork and Skibbereen and uh, Bally de Hub mm-hmm. had a couple of fundraising nights and put me back on a plane. They, and when you have people believing in you that much, you just can't let them down. Yeah, definitely. As I say, that's what I, I mean about uh, uh, things taking on a life of their own. Mm-hmm. Um, people would just... Everybody in West Cork was an open water expert at the time, mm-hmm. you know, in the end. And, and, you, and I just feel that, you know, you're swimming in the water and I, I say, I feel like giving up. And I say, no, I can't let that guy down. Mm-hmm. He he told me that that I could do it and, you know, I'm going to have to show him that I can. Yeah. It's very easy to say that I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that and, and do the other. Mm-hmm. But uh, when it comes down to it, uh, you know, you can stop at any time. Yeah. And the the game, the mind is, it's all in your mind in the end, you yeah. know, and, and a, on a channel on a channel swim, all you have to do is touch the boat. Yeah. And the swim is over. As easy as that. So, yeah. Easy as that. So you can give up any time <laughs> yes. and uh, you can find the rest of your life to figure out why. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, I was very, very lucky. Yeah. I had my wife on, the, on a couple of the swims and... Um, she never let me fail mm. and um, still not allowing me to fail at the moment. So we're, we're, we're still swimming and we're still planning oh, and doing other swims at the moment. Right. So it never stops. Definitely. We'll get more on that later, Stephen. But uh, the, the challenge, it took a lot of endurance. And fortunately enough, uh, you did triathlons and that's where you discovered that you had this knack for just going and going and, and going. With that said, how, how did you train for each of the swims for the Ocean 7? Is that something you can actually train for or do you rely on your endurance and keeping somewhat fit? Absolutely, you rely on your endurance. And as I say, uh, with the when we got into triathlon, we seemed to find longer stuff uh, easier. You know, the, the out eight, nine, ten hours, and uh, we were kind of happier out there. Mm-hmm. With, it, with, with the swimming, we were very fortunate. As I say, we could ask people, what, well, what's the certain problems with, uh, say, for the North Channel, it was the cold water. Mm. So we bulked up to around 19 and a half stone. Uh, that's around 120K. Yeah. And uh, we were taking on maybe around 700 calories every 45 minutes of warm feeds in the water. So we could train. We're lucky enough in Ireland. We have uh, cold water nearly all the time here. The water here at the moment is only around 10 degrees. And it's uh, the first day of summer was the first of May here. Mm -hmm. So it's supposed to be getting warmer, but I can't see it yet. (laughs) But uh, we, we trained. We tried to train for every perceivable event mm-hmm. we'd go down and uh, we'd stay up 24 hours for the and then go and do a six-hour swim in the in the, the lock lock Iron is where i train just in baltimore here mm-hmm. or in the sea just off uh, baltimore and skull so we would do a six-hour swim uh, sleep deprived then we'd uh, mess around or come down at uh, three or four o'clock in the morning Mm. to do another six-hour swim the following day, see how the body took to that, and basically load and load and load mm. the body with uh, things that it thought it wouldn't be able to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it took a lot of time. Unfortunately, the, with the training, you have to be selfish, and the, the, and sometimes you be, you would be training and realize that you know, you're missing a lot. But uh, that's why we realized we just have to get these things done quickly. Mm. 
uh, if we spent four or five years, we we wouldn't uh, definitely wouldn't have been the first, but uh, would be a terrible strain on everybody and the pressure. Mm-hmm. It's a very wearing thing training all the time, all year round, yeah. and and uh, that's what happened. Uh, I was even Christmas Day having dinner. I was thinking about swimming the next day, or when was the pool going to be open? Yeah. Uh, down here in West Cork, we only have a 16-meter pool. Mm-hmm. We trained over in the West Lodge Hotel in in Bantry, which is only a hotel pool, a leisure pool, which is only a 16-meter pool. So mm-hmm. people would come in at nine o'clock in the morning and swim with me, and they might come back at three or four o'clock that afternoon. I'd still be going up and down the pool, oh, wow. kind of quietly going out of my mind, <laughs> trying when it would, when the water got too cold yes. to do long stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we we tried everything we could think of. We mixed up our food, um, varied uh, the people that were feeding me, varied what we said on, on uh, when we were being fed, because everything had to be kept positive. Even if things were going to terribly wrong, mm. the guys on the boat, all they would say, they'd say very, very little. I'd only talk to the skipper and my feeder, mm-hmm. and uh, they'd basically lie. Mm-hmm. Uh, lie out loud to you just to keep you going <laughs> because uh, somebody said look you're going to have to swim harder for the next 55 minutes mm-hmm. or that uh, the observer is going to pull you off out of the water mm-hmm. you have that 55 minutes to just uh, break down in the water mm-hmm. and uh, that's what would happen after 8-9 hours you would, you'd, that's the last thing you need to hear you would, you'd just need to hear the lie and believe it and keep going mm-hmm. and uh around 13 and a half hours in the water in the North Channel and the, my wife told the skipper to throttle on, mm-hmm. leave him there. Yeah. Made sure I heard it <laughs> and uh, told, the skipper loved her for it, absolutely <laughs> loved her for it because the jellyfish were everywhere oh, wow. and uh, I was begging to come out and she said this is what he wanted. Mm. So uh, you need people around you like that that are tough and hard and mm. uh, only to get you across. Yeah. She knew if I came out of the water that I would never forgive myself and spend the rest of my life driving her insane, <laughs> yeah. which I do anyway, <laughs> for free. You know? for, for different reasons, so, yeah. For different reasons. <laughs> yeah. Stephen, this is a simple question now, um, but one that's obviously expected when we have these sort of conversations. Which of the seven channels was the most challenging to complete? I guess the, the, the Suguru was... Probably the hardest because we failed. We had two failed attempts in it, mm. and uh, it was the last mm. of them all. Mm. And we were under a lot of pressure. A lot of people thought all we had to do was jump on a plane and go out there to Japan and get in the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was success. We hadn't failed, uh, and we seemed to be getting these swims. You know, people thought pretty easy. So it was just a matter of jumping on a plane and going over there and. Uh, Japan was hard. So Japan is hard work for Gaichi. Uh, you know, I, we brought all our own food over there in case we get stomachache. And Taipei and Hagadati, where we were staying, mm-hmm. were very, very remote places. Uh, no, there was no shops. Everything had to be brought in. There was one hotel, uh, no shop whatsoever in Taipei. Uh, just a small little fishing village, mm-hmm. and the, the loneliness would get to you unless you were quite used to it and uh, very barren. And uh, every time we went out there, the water tried to kill us. Simple as that. Yeah. Every time the, the, the easterly wind would come against the tide coming from the west and just try and kill us every time. Yeah. And uh, we, we thought in the, in the end that we, we just couldn't get it. You know, we weren't fast enough. Because, as I say, some of the swims, like I would swim at two miles an hour mm-hmm. most of the time, two and, a, two and a quarter miles an hour. But uh, some of the swims, you have to try and do them very as quickly as you can, like the Cook Straits mm-hmm. and the Subaru. And uh, I wasn't. I had not trained for speed. I had trained for, to keep going. Mm. And 
uh, that caught me out a couple of times, so I was very fortunate to get it. Yeah. The wind went northwesterly on the the second last day we were in Japan, and uh, the skipper decided to go at twelve o'clock during the day, mm-hmm. which is normally not allowed because you're only allowed to swim uh, uh, through the day. You can't swim at night. We were we were still swimming at eleven o'clock that night, mm-hmm. and the fishermen are out. And it's a big no-no over there. So it, it, there was a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure from the Japanese. The Japanese people themselves were fantastic, but just a lot of pressure from the Japanese to finish this, a lot of reporters. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it, I suppose it got to us failing the, over there twice. Uh, we thought this, this is silly going back over there again to try again. But mm-hmm. as I say, the, the Irish people just... And the people around, the local people around here wouldn't allow me to, to fail. I had a feeling you were going to say it, it was the Tsuguru Strait in Japan. Definitely yeah. so grueling. And being at the last one uh, to achieve, to complete the seven, definitely it, it took a lot out of you from, from what I've read. I've also read, though, Stephen, that in the past you've said if you tell an Irish person they can't do something, they'll do everything they can to prove you wrong. But what gave you that determination to eventually complete that final uh, channel in Japan? I, I guess it re- it really was that the couple of I, as I say I've lost I'm around what am I now I'm fifty one fifty two but at the time I I had lost a couple of people through suicide and that mm-hmm. affected me uh, deeply and uh, I don't want to get too d- down about it but um, I I really wanted to um, show people uh, that you know you can go through bad times and get out the other side mm-hmm. and. Um, it, I, I realized that life was very, very, very short, mm. and uh, we were in a, we were in the middle of this thing, and if we didn't if we didn't complete, I'd probably go insane, mm. and I, I just couldn't allow myself to fin- uh, to to fail. Mm. That's yeah. basically it. So you know, it, it really it's a difficult thing to explain. Mm-hmm. But uh, and as I say, the Irish were getting such hammering at the time all around the world. Like we had a, a huge. It wasn't a. A recession. It was a depression here. You know, people mm-hmm. were losing their jobs hand over foot, and there wasn't much good news here. And it was really just to prove to the rest of the world that we could achieve, and we, you know, we weren't beaten. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just to never give up. That really, I would always use that kind of mantra. Yeah. At the beginning of the swims, I, I went and seen a psychotherapist and learned how to kind of self hypnose in the water. And uh, that was really one of my mantras, uh, just never give up. The three strokes, I'd stroke in threes and sixes, mm-hmm. and I'd never give up, never give up, and over and over again, and the, my, the names of my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, what I would say to them when I'd see people, you know, you get very emotional in the, in the water. Nobody yeah. can see you cry in the water. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would get very emotional in there and think about the people I've lost and Tell, tell them to talk to myself and say, look, the battle, is the, the, as I say, the battle would be in your mind and say, mm-hmm. look, I'm not letting you guys down mm-hmm. anymore. And uh, that, that's why I would take it as a personal, you know, battle of, in my, uh, of wills with myself not to give up. Mm-hmm. And uh, you kind of go deeper and deeper into yourself and um, find stuff that you, you know, you're, you're out 10, 12 hours in the water and you're not dead. And you're thinking, Jesus, I should be dead here, really, you know, yeah. and I can still move my arms. Mm-hmm. I'll keep going. And it it actually starts to get easier. I know that sounds ridiculous, but yeah. you'll often find talking to people that are doing uh, long stuff and long marathons and the, the, the Sab and stuff like that, and they'll f- tell you after three, four, fourth day, it actually starts to get easy. And um, that's, what I, that's what I found. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was really basically just not to... Uh, not, not to allow myself to even prosper the idea of giving up in the end. 
and um, the, 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 everybody can do this. This is the great thing, you know. If you, you, I, I, f- I find that people now are always looking for, you know, the, the instant gratification, mm. and they want to be great at something tomorrow. Yeah. And the, the, the one thing with the swimming is, you know, you, you, it takes such a long time to get mm. to, to, to that kind of level, and uh, to stay at it then is even harder. And so you're, you're constantly changing you're, you're, the way you're thinking. Your life changes over the years. And um, I, f- I find that uh, since my kids have got older now, I, I have a little bit more emphasis on what they're doing. And mm-hmm. we take, I take a lot more time up with them, which is great. Mm-hmm. So I take a back seat now in my swimming. I, I get up at half five, four o'clock in the morning and train before I go to work, say, mm-hmm. and go to work. And then I have my kids in the evening uh, to do whatever I have to do with them so everything fits in mm-hmm. well now but um, still I'm afraid it's still there so there's still the want to go further never give up never give in it's a great mantra to to have not yeah. just with what you do but in life in general well Stephen there are a number of incredible and just downright dangerous encounters that you experienced along the way you mentioned earlier that those uh, encounters that you had with uh, the jellyfish there during uh, your trip across the North Channel You've shared with us the story, but was that one of the more terrifying experiences you had in, in, in overall out of all the seven channels, you would say? Yeah, well, it was kind of one of the the, the most difficult to keep going. Mm. Kind of like uh, I was very fortunate at the time when I started getting stung by them, I was cold. Mm-hmm. So um, I was covered in lanolin, but I was cold at the time. If I had been stung at the beginning, I probably wouldn't have uh, probably gone into anaphylactic shock yeah. and, oh. and had to be pulled. But uh, it was, it's kind of like sticking your hand into a nest of wasps and uh, holding it there sure. uh, for 10 or 15 minutes. And the thing, the thing with jellyfish, people tell you that these guys, these guys are, have no brains or something like that, but they hunt in packs as far as I could see, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it was difficult because it was in the dark, so we were just swimming into beds and beds, fields of them, like a field of corn. You were just swimming through them constantly as closer we got to shore. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I think sharks, you know, sharks and stuff like that, I think they're just curious more than anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they're hungry, they'll go and, you know, Malachi was very difficult. They, we were with them. They were with us all the day long. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were tigers coming around and just zoning in and looking at you straight in the eye and uh, wandering off. The boat was getting pushed away. The boat was on a half a kilo away from me at the time. Sure. So they were losing me on the boat. So that was a very, very difficult, frightening time. But uh, you, you just had to keep going. We were so far out. We were in Hawaii, and like an Irish guy doesn't get to Hawaii every day. <laughs> and we weren't going to get the chance to go back there, so we had to make the, the best attempt of it. But after around 10, I think around 12, 13 hours, it was getting dark. We could see the lights of uh, Oahu. But we were still around four miles offshore, and um, the sharks were. It was just going to take one of them to go mm. and take a slap, and sure. we would be gone. Wow. Even the, even with the lights on, I could see mm. they were just veering around. The skipper made the call and uh, pulled us out. Mm. That, that probably was the most uh, difficult time mm-hmm. uh, for me, anyway, because we could have kept going, but it just was beyond safety. You know, yeah. uh, I would hope on swims that people if they see I'm going to get killed or die they will pull me out I would you know always we always have a, a, a B C D E plans to get out of the water very quickly and that was just one of them in the end because they were just everywhere unfortunately yeah. and um, we were saying a lot of prayers at the time mm. 
you know, the second time we went back to Malachi, it was a completely different situation. We started at six in the evening, mm-hmm. and uh, we went through the night with no lights on, so as not to attract shock, and uh, came to the dawn, and we had two humpbacks. It was February, and mm-hmm. we had two humpbacks either side of us. Mm-hmm. It was like having a, a million dolphins swimming with you, you know, these wow. titans mm-hmm. just veering off down into the deep and coming back up, and you'd wonder if they come, uh, what happens if this guy breaches underneath me, and mm-hmm. no come back up and rest just eye to eye nearly Hmm. Uh, and just quite amazing skipper going completely crazy on the boat telling me this was the best thing that could ever happen to us this Hmm. was the gods telling us this was going to work and you believe everything (laughs) you believe that kind of thing Hmm. so uh, they kept shark away that day and uh, we didn't see anything until the very end and even that didn't you know we weren't going to fail at that stage Hmm. nothing was going to stop us but uh the jellyfish, uh, the jellyfish, and the cold will kill you in the end. Mm-hmm. The sharks—they're only just—they're uh, only—you'll uh, never know when mm-hmm. they come near you. You know, the, as Philip Rush said in New Zealand, the Cook Straits is the only one where the great white—you uh, can actually get out of the water if you have a shark contact. Mm-hmm. But he said to me, um, Steve, you'll never know if they hit you because they're they're grey until they come up. You'll only see the white of their mouth sure. uh, when it's opened, when it's going for you. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were around eight hours into the swim in the Cook Straits, and uh, I was a commercial diver in a previous life, so I'm kind of happy in the water, but yeah, I, yeah. I seen a shadow, and it wasn't cloud, it wasn't the boats. Mm-hmm. So I said to Philip, look, Philip, the, you know, after around half an hour, mm-hmm. I said, Philip, the, there is something down there. Yeah. And uh, Philip was right next to me in a small rescue rib, and he, he just sticks his mask on and puts his head in the water, and he's down there around five seconds. I'm just treading water, and mm-hmm. he, he looks back up, and he says, comes back up with a big smile on his face and says, you're right, Steve, there is, you know, but <laughs> what do you want to do about it? It's bigger than both of us, you know, mm. and uh, it just, that broke the ice, mm. uh, you know, this ridiculous statement, uh, yeah. great white veering around, for, but he also said, it's been there for an hour and a half, anyway, you've just seen it, mm. you know, you only seen it around 20 minutes ago, and, um, uh, you know, that that belief that we weren't going to fail that day that's what drive you drove me on anyway you know that i couldn't let philip down if he believes uh, that i'm going to do this swim that mm-hmm. much we're going to do it and so uh we were we just got we just brought the big boat in pinged it with acoustics it took off and uh mm-hmm. we, we never seen a, another shark again that day mm-hmm. but uh as I say, I, 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 I kind of enjoy the water. I, I always think I'm safe in the water, no matter what's around me. Mm. You, you, you start getting this notion in your head that the, you, you're at one with the water, and you know you, they realize that you're not, you know, you're not a threat. And the shark would just come in on you. They're inquisitive. They come in on your heartbeat and uh, the, the urine trail and the blood trail or whatever that's there, and they check it out and they take off again, mm. unless they're starving with the hunger. And, but uh, we were we were just lucky, so yeah. lucky. Incredible experiences, jellyfish, shark, whales. But during the challenge, you also swam in some beautiful clear waters, but with that came the experience of vertigo, and then you tackled rough seas, and that brought with it seasickness. And then there was also the freezing cold waters you had to deal with. Such a mixed bag for all the different uh, swims you had to go on. Were you able to take what you had learned from one of the channels that you had completed and then applied to the next, or was it completely different from one to the other? It, it was. We, we pretty much stayed the same. If something didn't work, we changed it in training. Okay. But uh, we never went to and tried anything new mm-hmm. in a channel. We, we knew what the dangers were. Uh, we used the same kind of feeds. We brought the same kind of feeds with us wherever we were going. And uh, try to just maintain the same kind of routines. Mm. Uh, in 
in Cook Straits, we did, and in Molokai, we used blacked out goggles just to avoid the vertigo in the end, because when you're lateral for so long, mm. and you can see so down, so far down, that you actually start getting vertigo, and the, no, no amount of seasickness tablets are going to stop yeah. the, the motion of the sea. It's going to get to you, and you're going to have to pull. Once you start retching, uh, your, your swim is over, because mm-hmm. you're going to start dehydrating rapidly, and you're not going to be able to stop. Mm. So we actually used kind of blacked out goggles that we could barely see, just see the shape of the boat and see nothing else in the end. And that that kind of calms the mind down Mm. because the motion of the sea, um, we'd always be taking uh, antihistamines and and, uh, seasickness tablets for around three or four days before each swim. Mm. We learned to do that. And the self-hypnosis was a huge thing. Mm huge thing that would I'd always find to uh, go to my calm place in my mind where nobody could touch me and just keep swimming mm, right. and uh, with the mantras use them every time mm. and um, just use the same kind of words when we were dealing with uh, skippers and the time you know and just tell the skipper at the beginning of the swim look you do whatever you have to do to get me across I don't care mm. uh, and they understood you know that you you weren't there for glory or anything that you're yeah. just there to complete the swim. We never, we never looked at it as seven swims. You only looked at it as one swim at a time, mm. you know, and get that done and learn from that and take it to the next one. Mm. And that, that's, unfortunately, as I say, that's what happened when we went to Japan. Everybody just thought you were just jumping a plane, go over there, wait two or three days for the wind to stop and get in and do it. And um, it, it, Japan really came back and bit us. Mm. And it, it was very, very difficult to... Um, we had two typhoons when we were pulling out of there after the 13-and-a-half-hour failed second swim. Mm-hmm. And um, we had to spend two days waiting for that to, to blow over. Uh, we had different ideas of the place. You mm-hmm. know, Some of us were going over to party. Some of the guys were going over to party. Some of us had the Blade Runner idea and mm-hmm. um, karaoke bars. And so everybody had different <laughs> uh, ideas of what we were going to do in Japan. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, what you find is you can train and train, do everything you you think you can do to be prepared for something, and then you arrive on scene, mm. on the on site, and it's it's completely different. Yeah. But you fall back on the training that you've done, and hope that's enough. Mm. Fortunately, was enough for us to get to get these things done. Yeah. You know, and we're we're bringing on uh, open water swimming, as you know, has just kind of ballooned everywhere in the world. Everyone is swimming open mm. water now. We have. And here in West Cork, we probably have the, some of the best swimming. We, I'm the only person in the world to swim from Baltimore and West Cork around the Mizzen mm. and around the, the, sorry, around the Fastnet Lighthouse and into Skull. Mm-hmm. So we've opened that up as a kind of challenge for the English Channel swimmers to come mm. over and do that. Mm. We have nothing here except cold water and, and jellyfish and, mm. and lots of wind, lots <laughs> of wind here. But... Um, you know, uh, this is what uh, we we never stop. Mm. We're constantly trying to get the, the swims going and trying to train for swims yeah. all year all year round here. So uh, it's it's a, it's a, it's just a very difficult thing to stop, yeah. sir. I'm bloody stupid, <laughs> bloody stupid. I'd say. Now, Stephen, you you were in your mid forties when when you did the Oceans Seven. How did your body hold up, and were you surprised or not really? <laughs> Yeah, I, I suppose when you when you would be looking at me in pictures of uh, at that mm-hmm. time, I I wouldn't look at, like an athlete uh, of the norm, but um, it it held up pretty well. We we used to look after ourselves. We get a massage every couple of weeks here mm-hmm. in in, and uh, that used to hold the shoulders up. I didn't do a lot of kicking at the time. I changed mm-hmm. my stroke to be try and be as. Uh, uh, spelt in the water and as economical with my energy in the water so it, all everything came from the shoulders mm. and we looked at um, 
total immersion and things like that and with one arm swimming and so we were down to around 52 strokes a minute mm. from a 60 stroke pattern before when we were racing mm. or 64 when we were racing uh, so we were down to around 52 strokes a minute and no kicking to trying to conserve energy and trying to keep the the core warm in the cold water if you were kicking you'd be sending blood down to mm. the your legs and your toes and stuff like that and we got very very used to that so uh the the body did hold up pretty well it, it, and the recovery was nearly more important than anything you know after the swim you'd just break mm. down completely and trying to get the kidneys back going again was the most important thing yeah. maybe a saline drip as soon as we were finished and get water down and um as much salt into yourself as you can because mm-hmm. they reckon every hour you spend in the water it takes six weeks to recover from but mm-hmm. in the say if you spend 20 hours in the water it's going to take you three or four months yeah. and we were pushing that to to the limits really and um, trying to do two swims within 10-15 days of each other at, at the time was unheard of now it's, it's pretty much people are trying to do it all the time mm-hmm. so uh, we've kind of opened up a gate there that uh, and if people are prepared and they want to do something enough, they will do it. Mm. And it's as simple as that. If you want to, if you want to do something enough, you will do anything you you can to get through the the pain barrier and get there. Yeah. Like if somebody, uh, we were always taking anti-inflammatories after seven or eight hours in a swim. You'll you'll take an anti-inflammatory anyway, just to keep your shoulders going in case they start going. Mm. But uh, it was a, a a matter of accepting pain as your friend. Yeah. You know, and that would keep you uh, from falling asleep and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, a bit of, you know, if you had a pain in your shoulder or a niggle in your shoulder, you you could spend forty five minutes worrying about that, and then tell the guys on the boat, and they'd say, "Fine job, get on with it." Mm-hmm. You know, you know, toughen up, buttercup. You know, that's <laughs> that was one of their favorites. You know, mm-hmm. you're not. There's no other boats around here. You're not getting on this one, mm-hmm. and you have another five miles to swim. So <laughs> you know, yeah. and that that was basically it. You accepted pain as your friend and. Yeah. If you had pain in your shoulder, that that's understandable. You know, you you've been in the water twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen hours. Mm. You're bound to have a bit of pain, but uh, it would keep you going. Yeah, keep you going. Swimming for hours on end, the the Stephen, and day and night is uh, it's obviously not just a physical challenge, but also a mental test of strength. You've obviously mentioned the mantras you told yourself uh, while you were in the water, but did you feel that the mental challenge outweighed the physical demands? At the at the beginning, I didn't really realize uh, how much it, it it was all a mental thing. Mm-hmm. In the in the beginning, um, I I woke up in a, a panic of a ball of sweat and thinking, you know, why what are you thinking? You're going to try and do an English Channel swim, and I realized uh, that I, I wasn't prepared mentally and at all for this. You mm-hmm. know, you know, you could go over there and rock into the English into Dover and get on a boat, and you know, you could do a six hour introductory swim here, mm-hmm. and think you were ready for it and uh, no way you know there's so much going on in your head and there's so many things you have to shut down and stop thinking about and just concentrate on the end and you we had to learn that and as i say the the psychotherapist lady i I went to she was a little bit batty but she she was quite incredible as well she she taught me to to close down certain areas of my mind and stop thinking about things you know things that you can't control Mm. Like uh, swimming is a long distance swimming is a thing that you can't control. The only thing you can control is your body Mm. and to keep it going. You know, you can't control the weather. You can't control the people around you. You can't control the boat. The Mm. only thing you can control is where you go and uh, shut down everything else and imagine 
what what is uh, basically she would always set me a prize you was imagine what you're going to say to the first person mm. when you finish the when you come out onto the boat and you're lying on the deck imagine spend seven or eight hours thinking about that mm. and uh different things like that she give you little to come, things to play with your in your mind yourself to take she also worked out on a on a, a, a clock of pain mm-hmm. you know you'd have one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve uh, you know, and uh, kind of hooks in your back, and they would keep you afloat. Like, mm-hmm. for instance, my wife, my kids, the people that got me to the swim, mm-hmm. the people on the boat, they were all people uh, hooks in my back, but floating, with floats on them, and they would keep me alive and keep me going. Mm-hmm. And uh, go around the clock, all the way around, use everything, use the mantra, use the kids, my kids' names, mm-hmm. use my, my family's names at home. Uh, my father, the people I'd work with, anything you could think of mm. to keep you going, get right back around to 12 mm. and start all over again. Yeah. And that's how it would work, really. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of the time in the water, you you kind of have out-of-body experiences with, with yourself and you, you imagine people are with you or that you that are gone or, you know, your friends are swimming alongside you. Mm. And you, you just actually go with it mm. because it, it takes your mind of the swimming and the stroking and the only thing you have to watch is that your stroke doesn't uh, descend or go too slow, and the guys on the boat are always watching that every 10 minutes they're mm-hmm. taking a stroke count. Yeah. So if they know your stroke is going down, way down, they'll alert you to this, and they'll want to know what the hell is going on. Mm-hmm. For instance, in the, the North Channel, I got very cold. Uh, my stroke went down to around uh, 46 mm-hmm. a minute, and they, they started getting worried about this. So they, they pumped two hot feeds into me. And uh, we had a half hour. We two. We had two hot feeds every half hour, mm-hmm. and uh, that got me back up to my pep again. And uh, you know, little things like that. Mm-hmm. So um, that's how we would work. It's a really. It, it, it's it's all in the mind. Mm-hmm. Everything. Yeah. And people people are doing this stuff, or contemplating going out there. You know, doing long stuff, have to realize that um, they have to work with their mind nearly as much as their body. Mm-hmm. It's all very fine to say, oh, I can do this and I can do that and uh, I'm going to do this for charity and it's all very fine on the day. Mm. But uh, when you're out there by yourself and alone, you've only got your yourself and your body to uh, and your mind to back you up. Mm. Nobody else is going to say, uh, do anything for you. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned there, Stephen, your wife and your two kids. How, how were you able to juggle between family as well as work and preparing and taking on each of the channels? It was very difficult. It was very trying at the time uh, of the English Channel anyway. My my wife lost her dad uh, the, the night we did my first six-hour swim. Uh-huh. Uh, he passed away that night, and uh, we were swimming the English Channel around four or five weeks later, so it was, it was a very difficult time. Uh, I had only one child at the time, mm-hmm. uh, but... You know, to even broach the subject of going to the English Channel after my wife's dad had passed away, yeah. and he had been a great backer of mine. So that's probably the only reason that I was allowed to keep going. Yeah. But uh, it, it, it's it's a constant uh, for for everybody. You know, family is difficult anyway. Even just now, we don't seem to have any time at all. Everybody's going so hard, twenty twenty hours a day. Everybody's a long distance endurance athlete, as far as I can see. Yeah. But uh, it. You have to work at it, sir. You know, if you don't work at it, um, you you get you fall behind, and then the guilt comes. And that was another thing on the swim: the guilt would come. But what can you do? Mm. 
you know you're trying to achieve something so you 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 say to yourself look i i'll, I'll make it up to them somehow mm. and so now i i spend a lot more time with them than i used to mm. thank god yeah. uh still not enough but mm. uh, they have their own lives now they have their own their own little epicenters now so mm. they're all going hard as a, uh, they're all trying to drive me crazy now anyway you know mm. and they realize i'm crazy mm. well that's what they tell me anyway <laughs> But uh, it's it's a very difficult thing. Yeah. You you only have a certain amount of time to do these things, and uh, and I, I as I said to you, two or three years was was long enough to be out there. I, I actually don't know how people continually go away and do projects, and mm-hmm. you know, I I think they have to give up family. Yeah. You know, if you because it takes so long, and you have to spend so much time at it that you you probably nearly better off mm. not having uh, uh, not being married and not because it's going to fall apart it, mm. it's it's very very difficult unless you have huge backing from your your your, your relatives and and your kids and mm. it's uh, a thing that it constantly uh, I fight with sir mm. and uh, I discuss it in my own head mm. and uh I'm 25 years married this year, so I'm oh, going to have man. to take my wife. Maybe South yeah. Africa. Yeah, that's a good Maybe idea. <laughs> <laughs> she tells me I won't take her anywhere, but I'm going to take, I have to do something. But this is what I'm saying. Mm. The guilt is always there. Yeah. And it always will be there. But mm. at the time, you were just, you were trying to achieve and uh, get there. Mm. And speaking about your wife, Stephen, how, how did she feel about you taking these risks in the open waters? We never really talked about it. You know, mm-hmm. as I say, she was on board for the first two swims. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have got the English Channel without her, and I wouldn't have got the North Channel without her. So mm-hmm. she knew exactly uh, what they entailed. You know, um, we never really talked about the risks. She always assumed that the people on the boat would have your best interests in, at heart mm-hmm. and um, pull you if uh, it really did look bad. Mm-hmm. And uh, they did. And uh, unfortunately, we've lost a few guys to, to, for channel swimming, but um, mm. and that's been a terrible. Uh, the English, a couple of guys, we lost a couple of guys in English Channel, sure. and uh, that's the thing. We it was always never talked about, sir. Mm. Best not to. What you don't know won't kill you yeah. until you see it, mm. and then when you see it, you can deal with it. Mm. That was how we worked it, and um, she realized too that we were so far in that we had to complete. Mm-hmm. And uh, she trusted the the guys that were with me, Noel Brown and Sean Murray and Dave Williams, and uh, we had a whole a whole little pocket of a team here in West Cork mm. of uh, great people, and we're still friends, mm. and we still swim every day here, mm. and uh, that's the great thing about it. Mm. You know, everybody is still friends. It, yeah. it wasn't an ego thing. The the sea is not an ego place to bring your ego. Yeah. You know, the sea will beat you. And uh, the, the long stuff, that, that's the, that's the gr- one great thing about the long stuff, ego, you know, if you have ego, you'll, you'll die. Mm. You won't make it. Yeah. It, 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 will, it will bite you back. Mm. And, uh, it's a life lessons, life mm. lessons every day. Yeah. Well, not only did it take time and effort to achieve the record of becoming the first person to complete the Ocean 7, but it also requires money, obviously, Stephen. Not much in life is for free. Where did the funding come from and what sort of impacted financial restraints have on some of those swims? Yeah, the, the first three swims I, I financed myself and uh, my friends uh, took over the trying to organize charity events and uh, car drives. And I even, uh, the first time I did the, the fastnet swim, I had a chest waxing mm-hmm. the day after. So uh, mm-hmm. I had my friends giving me 100 euros to 
tear strips of hair off my chest, which there seemed to be a lot of them there that night. Mm-hmm. Things like that. Anything that we could think of. We did we did look for sponsorship of companies, but as I say, in Ireland at the time, uh, things were just yeah. gone, had gone south. Yeah. Uh, it was just a very fortunate. A, a, a man here has a house down in uh, Tregumlo, down here in West Cork. He worked with the Spiegel, and he was very friendly with one of the owners of Red Bull. Mm-hmm. And he's seen uh, the swim, and he was a, he's a man of the sea himself. Every time he's over here, he just spends his life in the water, mm-hmm. uh, fishing and uh, swimming. But uh, he helped us immeasurably, you know. He got Red Bull involved, and as I say, my friends never looked at it as seven swims. He said, "Let's we'll get two or three together. And we'll get them done, and then we'll move on to the next couple. Of, we'll have, if we have to burn a credit card, we'll do a credit card. Mm-hmm. But we'll we'll work it out like that. And Red Bull came on. We got enough money together to get a couple of flights over to L.A. and Hawaii booked. And uh, the swims, thank God, in America weren't too expensive, so mm-hmm. we paid for them ourselves. A couple of Irish guys put us up in L.A., uh, we reached out for help. We looked mm-hmm. for help everywhere we went. We reached out to the Irish around the world, mm-hmm. and uh, they came back. And you know, they they seen what we were trying to do, and they I suppose they thought we were crazy at the time, but they they seen that we had achieved some very difficult things, and uh, they, everybody came on board. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm still paying off the. I've just actually. I think I finished paying off the credit card bill <laughs> around four months ago. Would you believe? And uh, we've written a couple of books, but we're still trying to edit them. I'm not a very good editor. Yeah. So, but uh, it's a, it was it was very very difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, the, everyone everything was done on a shoestring, and mm-hmm. um, you know, done a, the unfortunate thing traveling around to all these places like Hawaii and New Zealand and. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, Japan, we did no sightseeing whatsoever. We were just there to do a job, yeah. and uh, it was just business. Mm-hmm. We'd get over there, get off a plane, get to the place, swim there, find out what we had to, mm-hmm. uh, get ready for the swim, and uh, wait and prepare. And uh, I, I didn't see any. I seen. I stayed in Wellington the whole time. Unfortunately, I didn't see anywhere in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Uh, very little Hawaii, very little of LA. And that's probably the only thing that uh, brings me down a little bit now, thinking back that I was in all these amazing places and mm-hmm. met all these amazing people and uh, didn't see enough of them, mm-hmm. didn't see enough of the countries that we were in. But uh, we were just on a such a tight time yeah. schedule that uh, we, we that's how we had to work it. Mm-hmm. And uh, the guys took over. That was another thing. The guys took over the, the fundraising side of things and... As I say, we we try to do it very very differently. Try and do two swims like the Cook Straits mm-hmm. and uh, Malakai together, or the Cook Straits. And we the, originally it was Cook Straits, and then go on to Japan. But it felt that we did Cook Straits and then flew on to Hawaii to mm-hmm. do Hawaii ten days after doing Cook Straits. Mm-hmm. We arrived into Hawaii, not able to lift my left arm, and with what second degree burns from the sun down in uh, New Zealand. Sure. And um, a Samoan lady worked on my shoulders there, a physio, and uh, worked miracles. Mm. And uh, got us back ready for it within five, four, five days. Mm. We were perfect. Uh, so it, it was very, very difficult. Mm. Well, everything is difficult. Anything that's worth it in life is difficult. Yeah. So. And um, just to finish it, we finished in Suguru at three or four o'clock in the morning. Mm. Only myself and Noel Brown. And the skipper, the skipper was quite drunk. He had been drinking heavily. <laughs> he was a great guy. He used to be, a, he would attract my attention by throwing a can at me on the side of the boat. He was a great guy. But uh, as I say, um, we uh, the the poor interpreter was seasick the whole day in Japan. So he was lying on the deck. And Noel used to drag him over to the skipper. They'd talk and drag him back over, lay, lay him down, cover him up and leave him there. So... Uh, 
it, it was it's a funny old sport that you know there's no great amount of money there's there's no there's no money what am i talking about there's no money there's no cups there's no mm. great amount of glory in it but it's just you know to, to for yourself yeah. and uh, for the irish people really and for anybody to say to themselves well maybe i can do something like that mm. it's there to be done incredible well Stephen, about a year after you completed the ocean seven your laptop was stolen and on there were hundreds of photos and videos of all your epic swims you even offered a cash reward, if I'm not mistaken, for its safe return. Did you ever get it back? No, we never oh, got no. it back, unfortunately. We, well, what we actually did was just make a trawl of people where we had been to and the pictures they had taken and got a lot of them back off them, uh, you know. So we, we, we made up for what we'd lost. Mm. It was just very unfortunate at the time. Uh, as I say, we were writing a journal. My journal was lost on that as well. Oh, no. But I, thank God I had that backed up. But oh, okay. uh, it was just a very unf- never, never seen bits of it. The, the cops just reckoned it had been broken up and used for spare parts. Yeah. Um, at the time, as I say, things were so bad here. Everything was being stolen. Mm. And uh, uh, these things happen. So, yeah. you know, we just took it um, on the chin and uh, moved on. Mm. Yeah. It didn't work out for us that yeah. time. We, did, uh, we thought we had it at one stage because we had a GPS card in it. And... Uh, we we thought we had located it, but uh, the, the cops uh, just located it down to a block of flats, but couldn't get any closer. Wow. So, so unfortunate, uh, yeah. But you know what? Yeah. You know what, Stephen? You've got the memories in your mind still, and and uh, that's possibly. If I could, could get them out, sir, it would be a great help. <laughs> that would be great <laughs> for, for other people to see them. But at least you know that you have, still have that control of of that what's in your mind. Now, Stephen, I, I should have perhaps asked this question earlier, but what is it about open water swimming and these difficult challenges that excites you and draws you in? I, I guess it's really being in the water, you know, mm-hmm. and, and at the beginning of a swim, you're there and, you know, um, you, you say your prayer and you'll kneel down on the ground and you'll realize how insignificant you are. Mm. And you go out there into, and you you come back different. Mm. You, every swim we've come back different from. We've learned so much from each swim we've done, and you realize uh, how quite insignificant you are. But uh, mm. what you what you can do to tr- try and change things, and uh, you know we're not going out there to try and say you know we need to save the world or you know need to save the whales or anything like that. But uh, just to explore every possibility that mm. you have, take the chance. Yeah. Uh, that's what I always say now. If you have an idea or you want to do something, you know, take the chance and try it and see how far you can go. Yeah. See what road it'll take you down. Because if you told me 10, 15 years ago that, that I would have done that, I'd say you're crazy. You know, I was yeah. I was doing a bit of cycling, doing a few triathlons and things like that. Yeah. And uh, that was it. But uh, I suppose it's not to, these are not great sports for a compulsive obsessive like myself mm. to get involved in. <laughs> But um, that's what that's what I would say. That, you know, take the chance, go for it. You know, and, and do what you do. Do something every day that scares you. Yeah. That's that's what I say to myself still, and I, I'm still doing it. And I, I don't see age as a as a age is only a number now. It's, yeah. it's not. It's only a constant. Mm. Uh, as I say, I'm 52 now, and we're planning a couple of big swims this this summer if the water does get any way decent and mm-hmm. uh, doesn't the wind stops blowing all the time. Mm. Uh, I don't see why you should stop. Mm. You know, you should always constantly be pushing yourself to be better. Uh, wake up in the morning, look in the mirror, realize you're as ugly as you were yesterday morning and getting uglier mm. and get up and go harder than you did yesterday. Yeah. As I say, everybody everybody is pushing each other. You know, you're working 16-hour days uh, uh, as a norm, you yeah. know. 
like everybody is pushing themselves so hard now and they don't really realize it mm. uh, how incredible what they're doing is mm. just even the normal fact of getting up every day and surviving mm. it's it's just quite it's quite incredible now you mm. know and in this uncertain world that we live in uh, to have stability and uh, you know have a target and have an aim is an amazing thing yeah. people wander through life uh, not really knowing what they want to do and i suppose maybe that was it for me maybe uh, you know i just it just at the right time it mm. this came along yeah and it gave me a huge purpose mm. and uh just to, to to try and see how far you can go mm. and that's what that's what i ask myself most days mm. how much further can i go and can you keep going and why not yeah. find the excuse say it out loud and then say you're ridiculous and go and do it anyway yeah why not <laughs> well finally Stephen what are some of the big challenges that you've done since uh, the Ocean 7 and what are the other extreme open water challenges that uh, you've possibly set your eye on uh, coming up in, in the near future well since since the Ocean 7 well during the Ocean 7 as I say we've swam we opened up the, the Baltimore out around um, Cape Clear and out around the Fastnet Lighthouse and into Skull Swim. Mm-hmm. We're hoping to do, uh, that's around a 25-mile swim. We use that as a practice swim mm-hmm. um, to, to get ready for Molokai and the long, long swims we were doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody had ever achieved that before. Nobody's done it since. Wow. Uh, we're hoping to go out this summer from Baltimore out around the Fastnet and back into um, to Baltimore, that's uh, around the bend. We're calling that swim, mm-hmm. which is pretty much is around the bloody bend. <laughs> At, uh, we've we've also swam from Castletown Bear out around the mizzen and down around the mizzen and into just to, to the the peak of the mizzen. We had to actually pull on that swim mm-hmm. due to the weather. We ho- we hope to come down to South Africa and do False Bay okay. this, this year. Mm-hmm. You know, there's certain times of the year when you can do it. Mm-hmm. And the sharks are not too interested in humans. Mm. Uh, the, the, there's so much. Uh, the water, as I say, the water here is so great mm. that uh, we don't have to. We're lucky that we don't have to travel too far yeah. to get it, you know. And um, it's it's just to find the time and find the time to train. Mm. When this week, for instance, now we'd be hoping to beast up the swims this week. We're hoping to get up to around 45k for the next three weeks. We do three heavy weeks and then an easy week. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's a matter of getting up at four o'clock in the morning, doing a two, an hour and a half swim in Lockheed, going to work, maybe doing another hour in the evening and doing that for five days solid mm. uh, to start building up the body to accepting the pain again. Mm. So uh, it, it's, as I say, it's, it's difficult to stop. Very, very difficult to stop. Well, Stephen, please don't stop. Just keep on going. It's uh, It's been such a fascinating conversation hearing your stories from the Ocean's 7 Challenge and uh, the difficulties you needed to overcome in order to set that record of becoming the first person to complete it. It's an accomplishment that perhaps does not get the sort of recognition it deserves worldwide, but we are extremely proud of what you have achieved. Stephen, thank you for joining us on the Hard as Nails podcast. Appreciate it.